Hi there, welcome to, welcome back to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAnallen. Thanks for joining me on this, which is the first in conversation podcast of 2018. Delighted to welcome Orla Kelly, who's a barrister and CEO of um, GDPR Compliance and Training Specialist, Briefed. Um, Orla's the go-to lady on GDPR. If you're, you or your colleagues in your business are not having a conversation about GDPR, you kind of need to. Um, changes to the 1998 Data Protection Act are due to be introduced on the 25th of May 2018. And there's a whole lot of stuff you need to know and prepare for. And this podcast is not a bad starting point. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Orla and I'll catch up with you again soon. Hi Orla, um, thanks for your time today. Um, we've been trying to get this organised for a wee while, so I really appreciate your time in this. Um, just to kick off, can you give me a little bit about background about what you're doing, who you are and what you're doing and what has taken you to this point? Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, Paul. I'm delighted to get talking to you finally. Um, I've been a barrister since 2002 in Belfast and about five years ago I uh, started um, to specialise in data protection I, and I have been training and providing consultancy advice in data protection law for the past five years. Um, as you might imagine, with the upcoming um, changes in data protection law and the introduction of GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation, um, about the past 18 months has been very focused on GDPR. And I've been traveling around most of the UK and working out of London, um, helping businesses understand what does the legislation mean for them, what changes do they need to make to their procedures, and how can they reach a level of compliance by the 25th of May 2018. You're busy then? Well, yes, I'm very busy at the moment. And there's a team of us now that are that are traveling all around Northern Ireland and over to the mainland UK to, to try and um, help businesses. There, There's a lot of work to be done for a lot of people and not an awful lot of time to get it done. I, had a, I sort of confessed to you before we went on air that, you know, I'm quite anxious about this particular podcast. It's another example of a little bit of information being very dangerous. But I, I find out from clients that I work with that at the start of 2018, there's still a lot of people, not only who are not prepared for this, but who don't know anything about it. Well, I think you would be in the majority there, Paul. Um, and to be fair, how often do you know a lot about new legislation? Is that something that you do in your day-to-day business? Probably not really. It's always the lawyers that are, that are studying the legislation. So I don't think that you should beat yourself up over that. But to give you um, just a basic overview of what GDPR is, all data protection law is designed to give all of us in our individual day-to-day private lives rights over our own information, okay? And this isn't actually new. We've had legislation in the UK since the year um, 2000, the, the Data Protection Act 1998 came in in 2000, uh, which governed this and gave us a lot of rights. So if you've ever clicked unsubscribe on a marketing email that right comes from data protection law if you've ever written to a business to ask them are they processing your information and can you see what they've got that comes as a result of this legislation the reason that there's a new version of this legislation um, enacted actually um, in may 16 and coming um, to a point of enforcement this may is because it was originally devised back in the early 90s Now, what I often say to people when I have them in a training session is think back to what you were doing in 1995 and what your life was like. I mean, I was 16 doing my GCSEs and 
it's quite some time ago now. Um, and if you think how you, how you lived your life, you know, I had to, if I wanted to speak to one of my friends, I had to use the house phone and phone their house phone and my mother kicked me off after 15 minutes. Um, no social media, no shopping online, no booking holidays online. The most advanced thing we had back then, and we thought it was great, was teletext. So the reason we're getting new legislation is simply because data and everything around it, particularly with the advancement of the internet, has meant that the original legislation is not fit for purpose. But I don't think there's any reason to panic. And I think that people, by virtue of a lot of, of uh, focus in, um, in the news and, and on various websites about GDPR, are panicking. There's no need to panic. This is just a new version of legislation. And most of the businesses in Northern Ireland will have coped with this in some format or another, be it health and safety being introduced or anti-money laundering rules or new accountancy rules. That is where you should put this in terms of understanding how it affects your business. It's new legislation that you will get up to date with. You will sow processes into your business to help you deal with it. And then you'll keep moving on and being profitable and doing your day job. So there's people that I've spoken to, there's two, there's two types of customers that I'd like to reference um, in this dialogue. Um, the first one would be a customer that I spoke to just before Christmas, who's a, a, he's a, well, he's a guy that runs a very successful business in a particular sector. Um, and he was asked just as an off, off the cuff comment, so are you prepared for GDPR? And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he genuinely looked fearful uh, once he was told, because the, the media are very quick to promote, or certainly the media that I've seen are very quick to promote the 4% of global turnover and the fines. And that immediately, it's a bit like, it's been described as the millennium bug, but it's not like that at all, right? It, it's absolutely nothing like the millennium bug. Uh, and it does, it's a, it's a comparison that, that truly irritates me. This is just a new piece of legislation that you have to find a way to get your business to comply with. The millennium bug, and I remember it because I was in my uh, early 20s and all that I cared about was where I was going out <laughs> that particular New Year's <laughs> Eve. But um, that was whether or not literally the world was going to stop because computers didn't know to move on to the, the digits 2000. This is nothing like that. This is just new legislation. And the 25th of May is the date where businesses have to reach a level of compliance because thereafter, should they have a data breach, the new sanctions, which are very high, will be imposed on them. But this doesn't go away on the 25th of May. This is something that every business will routinely need to look after going forward. So, so it's were, not like a bug at all. If you were, if you were um, speaking to, to that client of mine, what would you say to him right now? What, what, would advice, what advice would you give him directly that he would need to implement immediately? Well, I would say don't panic, but you do need to take action because in my experience, about 95% of businesses in the private sector have never complied with the existing legislation. And that means that there's work to be done in advance of May. And it's not just attending a training session and ticking a box. There, there are a number of, of things that need to come together to make compliance. All businesses need to train 100% of their staff in data protection. All um, contracts with businesses where data is shared either with that business to you or with you to another business you need to ensure that it includes appropriate contract language around who takes responsibility for the information and what they're doing with it um, and there are other policies and procedures that need to go in place so those things can't be done overnight and we're, I mean we're now I think we're just about four months away from the deadline so if you've got um 
clients or, or contacts who are in a position where they have a, a large business and they haven't ever looked at this before, they really need to seek professional advice very quickly to start to move them forward the compliance journey. Time is running out. Is this going to cost businesses a lot of money? It's going to cost it, them if they don't, right? Okay, so... but is Yes. It... I mean, the cost for anyone who maybe isn't aware of what the consequences are of a data breach, let's think about that first, okay? Um, because it's not very well to talk about compliance, but it really, you know, you need to understand what is it, what are the risks if you don't comply. Currently, um, the Information Commissioner has the power to issue up to half a million pound fine to any business that has a data breach. That is changing, and that from the 25th of May, they will have the power to issue... Um, up to 20 million euros, which works out at about 17.5 million pounds at the minute, or 4% of a group global turnover. So even if you're a small company as part of a much wider group and have a data breach, it's 4% of the turnover, not of the profit, the turnover of the company that can, can be the fine. And I often find that businesses or people assume that it takes a very big event, which um, maybe you know being hacked by, by criminals, um, a cybersecurity incident before they'll be they'll come onto the radar of getting a fine, and so it's helpful to understand and think think I suppose one of one of the things that that um, fines are issued for is uh, and has happened is sending an email to the wrong person. So ask yourself have, have yourself or any of your members of staff ever emailed the wrong person? Almost everybody has, and a solicitor did that at a um and it. In England, an English solicitor did that, and as a result, her employer was fined £120,000. No way, wow. Yeah, and that's under a cap of half a million pounds, okay? So that's under the old legislation. Obviously, because it hasn't come in yet, we don't know what that case would have attracted under the much um, higher sanctions. And so some other things that cause people to get fines are a social worker left some papers on a train they were found within 24 hours and appeared to be, um, had been untouched. They were found in the lost property office. Her employer was issued £70,000 fine. So for businesses who take information in and out of the office or people who work from home, that's a big risk. Um, there, there's a, a government department who had a, had a, an agency that worked within their department who auctioned off old furniture when they were moving premises. And they auctioned off a filing cabinet without checking if there was anything in it or not. No way. There's also very sensitive content in that in relation to terrorist incidents in the 70s in Northern Ireland. That government department was fined £185,000. Yeah. A USB stick was stolen from a staff member's home and there was a fine of £150,000 issued because it was from a police officer's home. And the, the unencrypted USB stick had a database of a thousand police informants' names and addresses. So, very very small things, things that you know all of us can potentially do any day of the week, are the things that get a business in trouble. Um, and 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 a fine isn't the only thing that the businesses need to be concerned about. It's the headline, but there are actually other consequences that are very, very difficult for businesses to navigate as well. I don't know if you've heard of any of those. Um, no, I, I haven't heard any of those. There was um, a couple that, that are fairly well documented in the media. There was the NHS, um, I, Yahoo had had a couple of breaches as well. Yes, I remember right. about f a probably old school breaching um, where it wasn't really tech, but there was an organisation, the Northern Irish organisation, that um, left a f a boxes of 
files up against a um, emergency exit door and the next day all these papers were blowing around the streets um i know i know the name i'm going to not protect i'm not going to sort of drop anybody in it but it was pretty messy and that information was really sensitive because it was within the um healthcare mental healthcare uh, industry and um, i was thinking like oh that's really careless but as you say anybody can be caught for a a, a usb stick left behind computers left in the back of a tree or a car or a train that can happen to anybody in a work context yeah. And, and to me, the, whilst the fine is something that can be very concerning for businesses, um, the ICO, the government, you know, the regulator, the Information Commissioner's Office, don't don't necessarily issue a fine with a view to putting you out of business. They will issue a fine with a view to it being a a good hard slap on the wrist. However, what they do also do is issue a press release identifying the company as having been sanctioned for a data breach and the details of that. And those press releases are lifted very quickly by the media, particularly in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And um, so what businesses all need to think about is, you know, if your name is across the front of the Belfast Telegraph, talking about a data breach that you have and that you've got fined, even if it's £100,000, what impact does that have on your business? Will clients be happy with that or will they leave? Will you find it difficult to tender for work if that's something that you do? Will you find it difficult to get new clients? Will it mean that your competition are constantly telling people that you've had a data breach? And so, unfortunately, it's actually reputational damage, which is not really that easily controlled, which, which will really cause severe consequences for a business. And there's no way to roll back from that. You know, the preparation to prevent that happening needs to be done in advance. And there are a couple of other consequences too. Um, you can be... Uh, albeit it's the, the organisation or the business that pays the fine, any individual employee can be prosecuted in a criminal court if they breach data protection legislation so they can have a criminal record. There was a GP surgery, again, in England where the receptionist um, used her access to medical files to look up her ex-husband's new girlfriend's medical information. And not only was she fired for that, but she was prosecuted and fined by a magistrate's court so she had a criminal record and couldn't work in that area again and there are there are different crimes that arise from this legislation um, one that's very common at the moment that's prosecuted is theft of data so if someone leaves a business and moves to a competitor or sets up on their own and takes personal information with them they can be prosecuted for theft of data under the legislation yeah you see on that one um, i have personal experience of that um and we, uh, I was working for a startup in Belfast. Um, I don't know legally how much I can tell you, but if people can fill in the blanks, I hope they do, because some shit stole a data from the business, literally stole uh, a pipeline, a sales pipeline, and took it to a competitor. And he was using an app that was only registered through our business. So he was downloading stuff all the time, unbeknownst to us. And then whenever we found what had happened, <coughs> um, you know, a blind man on a galloping horse could have said, well, like, you know, this is the postcode, this is the IP address, this is where the information is coming from, but it must be this guy. And we went to the police and they told us they could do nothing. How long ago was that? Two and a half years ago. And the only reason that I, that I pursued it locally and then I pursued it with the Thames Valley Police. Um, and, you know, when I spoke to the lady, I just, I, I kind of maybe embellished the impact it was having on our business. I said that the pipeline has been 
decimated where we've lost X, Y, and Z. We had lost a lot. There's no doubt about it. We had lost credibility. Um, and the only thing that, that the only comfort we got was that this guy got lifted on Christmas Eve and was taken down to the police station and was probably given a grilling on Christmas Eve and maybe panicked over the Christmas holidays. But by, by now, he's nothing happened and they weren't doing anything at all. And this lady said, we, we, we have no proof. And I said, but surely... You, you do have proof, but the law works in a funny way to the uninitiated, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But um, um, sorry, that particular that particular um, offence being prosecuted more and more regularly now, I would say even than two and a half years ago, um, because it's become more prevalent, uh, understanding of data protection law. And so that, that, you know, there's a reputational damage to find the criminal prosecution. You can be sued by people whose information um, you lose or have, or or breach in some way and a lot of professionals can be sanctioned by the professional body so all in all added up um, it makes for a very 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 bad day if you have a data breach um, and so businesses need to think about the fines and think about the, comp the impact of reputational damage and make a, make a decision about what can they do if it's important to them to prevent that happening and it's really only the management team or the, the board of directors that, that will be able to do that. So back to your original question, there is some upfront investment in making sure that you're compliant, like every type of new legislation that comes in. But the cost of doing that is um, significantly smaller than the cost of having a fine or the reputational damage that stems from having been sanctioned by the Information Commission. The, the, the reputation damage is, is really, really... Um it's quite. It's quite. Uh, it's 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 evidently very important, but it's almost overshadowed by this risk of the fine, isn't it? You know, people seem to see the fine as as a greater impact, but actually, longevity and uh, reputation and your pedigree and your history and and all that sort of stuff, especially in a place like the north here, you know, that could kill your business completely. Yeah, I mean that's uh, people don't necessarily really know that there's a press release issued and that the reputational damage will automatically stem from that because a lot of the headlines focus on the fines. But in my experience, it's been the reputational damage that has been the make or break for a business, whether they can actually continue to operate, not the fine. The fine will be somehow achievable because the fine is issued, um, the ICO takes into account not only the type of breach, the type of security you should have had in place, the context of the information that you lost and how it affected the people that lost it, but they take into account your turnover and what security measures you should have been taking. Mm -hmm. So they are mm -hmm. looking at the perspective of, well, what would we have expected you to do and what type of a fine is reasonable in the circumstances? But there's no reasonableness around um, reputational damage. If you're on a radio show that, that you get your, your entire brand that you spent 40 years building up is getting bashed because uh, they, you know that's what suits them to have on the radio show that day. It's funny you say that. So the, the current um, legislation uh, dates back to 1998, right? That's right, yeah. Okay, so 1998, I would have been working at a newspaper in London. Um, the Mail on Sunday um, had 2.6 million copies then. Um, the guy who, there was a guy who came in at the time from Boston Consulting, a guy called Paul Zwillenberg, who came in and started talking about how the internet was going to change uh, publishing and we kind of, we weren't really sure. So... Um, I think he left in about 18 months. The mail held back delivering an online um, portal, whereas uh, The Guardian went very quickly, The Sun went very quickly, The Times went with The Wall Garden, and The Mail held back 
Paul Zwillenberg is now at the Mail on Sunday as CEO of the entire group, and they've got 10 million unique users every day or something like that. But the way we would have bought cars in 1998 would have been heavily influenced by, back then, old school TV, posters, um, national press, local press, mail shots, everything like that. And now when you think of that, whatever that is, 22 years on or whatever, the communication through your mobile, your data capture on the, you know, you go into a comparison website for the price of a car and somebody wants to send you a brochure, all of a sudden, anything that we're buying or selling is heavily predicated in data exchange, more so now than obviously ever before. And, you know, when you think about the details that car companies would have, license plates, registrations, insurance, finance details, emails, telephone number, like there's some big risks out there for large organizations. Yeah, the, the, the number of records and the amount of data being processed for successful businesses um, is extraordinary. And all of that has to be managed somehow because it doesn't take very much to get lost or get hacked or get accessed um, by the wrong person to land you in trouble. And so there, there's a piece of work to be done to make sure that you're managing it properly. Do you think that most businesses are under threat of human error more so than hackers? Um, well, certainly the Information Commissioner's Office, they publish quarterly results in terms of what breaches they've had reported to them. And um, I, what comes to mind is, I mean, I work a lot with the legal profession and I was doing some training with a law firm yesterday. And the first, the highest six breaches all work around somebody emailed the wrong person, they sent papers to the wrong person in the post, they lost papers, um, they faxed the wrong person. All the, out of all of the top reported breaches, none of them were being were, were the fact that somebody was hacked. Mm-hmm. That didn't even appear on the list. So, of course, there's a lot of, of emphasis around that because whenever it happens, it can be catastrophic. But the reality is the breaches that are, are landing companies in front of the regulator are not necessarily cyber attacks. They're much smaller, um, homegrown problems. Um and that's one of the reasons the information commissioner assume or, or specify that you need to train all staff regularly in data protection awareness. Because if staff don't know the risks to um, losing or, or having a data breach and they don't know how to handle it properly, they will continue to be a weak link or a risk within the business. Whereas I've experienced of staff that are then trained up, they fully understand the implications, not only for the business, if the business gets a fine, but for them personally, if the business can no longer operate, that that means job losses. And suddenly you find a very collegiate team where people are all keen on, and they create a first line of defence. They will, you know, as I say, I work with a lot of law firms, it'll be the receptionist will flag up to the senior partner, something that she sees happening, that she thinks is a risk to the firm, that that senior partner wouldn't ever have seen on, on his or her own um, viewpoint because they're working from different perspectives. So yes, hum- to me, I agree entirely. Humans are the biggest risk in this area, but that's easily rectified. Yeah. So come back to what what you said. Um, kind of, um, I, I think that um, it's not so much the threat of um, it's the law and you've got to do it. This is now best practice, right? This is good for business. Mm-hmm. So people need to be, and part of the legislation is the privacy by design, whereby any new systems that have been put into the business have to be compliant with data protection moving forward, right? So that's for yes. that's going to impact startups and especially businesses starting up across any category. Well, particularly, I mean, it's mandatory under GDPR to carry out a privacy, what's called a privacy impact assessment. 
if you're undertaking any new process um, with large volumes of information or with sensitive information. So that for some businesses might simply be moving from one case management system to another. Um, they need to, in, in, and I would kind of use the example, if you're in essence putting together a business case for doing something new, part of that business case now has to be how does this impact individuals' privacy? And an example of a privacy impact assessment um, that, that might resonate um, with, with most people is a is a, a police force in the north of England a couple of years ago uh, didn't carry out a privacy impact assessment. These, these, by the way, are not new. They're mandatory under new legislation, but they're not entirely new. Um, a lot of businesses who carry out best practice already do this. And so this police force wanted to prevent um, speeding at a particular roundabout at a particular edge of a particular village. And to do so, they put up cameras to capture vehicle registration numbers. They didn't carry out a privacy impact assessment in advance of this. And it turned out that this roundabout had a pedestrian crossing across it. And this, the cameras captured the faces of all of the people in all of the cars and the faces of people walking both ways across the pedestrian crossing. And so all of us, our, our, our image is considered our personal data. And um, there were complaints about this. The information commissioner made the police force take the cameras down, made them carry out a privacy impact assessment. So that with a view being, how can you achieve what it is that you want to achieve without breaching our individual rights to privacy? And they were able to put the cameras back up again, but they were fixed in a position that only captured the vehicle registration numbers, which is all they actually needed in the first place. So that's a demonstration of when a privacy impact assessment can achieve both um, protection of the right to privacy, which we all have, but doesn't impede the business or the organisation doing what it is that they need to do. Just when you said that, I was brought, I was immediately thinking about the responsibility of um, some of the social media platforms like Facebook and that. What's what are the is this is a curveball at you here? Um, I think <laughs> I'm apologising in advance before I get the question even right because um, it's just in my head that if, if people are posting video clips or pictures and you're in them and you're not wanting to be in them, what are the who, where do you stand there? Because you own the rights to that picture, right? Yeah. So. I don't have a definitive answer for you. This is a developing area of law and there are consistently cases taken against large social media platforms, quite a number of which happen in the courts here in Belfast, actually. And there are a number of, of barristers who specialise in doing those. Um, there are, you know, of course, we will all be agreeing to terms and conditions when we sign up to these platforms. Have we ever read them? Do we ever look at them? Do we know what we're consenting to? Um, what rights are we giving them to access and publish our information and what ownership do we have? There will, you know, the, these large social media platforms have large teams of lawyers who create agreements that we as individuals sign up to. So um, I don't know, I don't, I can't give you a definitive answer about what our, where our rights stand. What I can say is that it's, it's, a, it's a, an area of law that is being pushed and pressed constantly in a lot of the courts in Europe at the moment, to, predominantly with a view to try to establish better rights for us as individuals um but you know those are large companies to come up against and it's a long slow process yeah because I, I think that I, I apologize for the curveball but it does take you back to the fact that um this this legislation is good for customers and consumers and it's good for us ultimately it's protecting us right well i mean that's the point of the legislation is that we all have rights and that it protects us against um, what organizations and businesses just do whatever they want with our information 
So that's true. And, and I do find, um, particularly during some of our day-long courses, people obviously come in with their work hat on because they're trying, they're thinking about GDPR in terms of how do we become compliant. But once you start to talk through the ramifications of, you know, what happens, do, you know, do you like receiving marketing emails? What about whenever you try to buy something at a till and the first thing you're asked for is your email address? Do you find that irritating? I know I find it irritating. And in reality, businesses shouldn't be asking you for that. Um because they don't need that information to process your transaction. So there's lots of things that are that are, are created to, to help individuals have more power over our own data. Okay. In, in, that, in that situation where somebody asks you for your email at the till, I think that they're probably, the person that's asking you for the email doesn't know why they're asking for it a lot of the time. So whenever you say, I'm not going to give it to you, they don't have a default, they don't have a good response for you. I think there's a, a big training issue there, you know. Yeah, well, it's one of the areas, again, where they're just following company policy and whatever kind of training they've had. But the reality is they need to have data protection training and all the processes need to be reviewed to make sure that standard processes such as collecting that type of information don't just continue on without someone reviewing it and seeing if it's breaching GDPR. Yeah. Um, You mentioned the email. It's kind of a nice segue into um, a question that I had for you. So most of the people that listen to these podcasts from me are... Therefore, they're small businesses. Um, there may be a couple of startups, but really they're mainly small businesses who are interested in trying to grow sales, retain customers, encourage engagement, make greater profit. Grow. It's just business growth stuff, okay? And by and large, over this last two, two and a half to three years, the training that I do and the business development work that I do is a blended uh, approach which brings in Telephone sales, okay, so telephone sales is something that probably um, everybody thinks that social media and the digital digital world we live in has kind of become obsolete. It's actually the reverse. It's become more and more effective. It's more like blue ocean and red ocean strategy. So you blend telemarketing with emails. Um, and I know some of my clients already have said, so what's the impact of GDPR on our ability to email people and what's our ability to call people that we may have not called for a year. So say it's the 26th, say it's the 1st of June this year and the telesales team are out making phone calls again um, and sending emails. What are the implications there as a consequence of the change in legislation? Well, that's, I mean, that's a great question and it's very relevant um, because quite often if you've been relying on the fact that you have consent from someone to contact them, there are changes to how you can properly achieve consent under GDPR. So... And, and just very quickly, not to bore you, but um, if you know the, the kind of pre-tick boxes that we all come across when we're buying something online, um, which is us consenting to our information being added to a marketing list for the most part, um, that pre-tick box can no longer happen under GDPR. It can be a box that's empty, but you have to take an, what's called an affirmative action. And if you want to be on that list, you have to tick the box and the company has to record what it is that you've consented to they have to give you options to withdraw that consent and they have to be able to prove that you consented to it if ever challenged so it's a difficult one for companies to abide by you almost need to create an infrastructure around doing that however and there's a couple of caveats here first of all gdpr is not actually the legislation that governs digital or electronic marketing. That's a different uh, piece of legislation called the Privacy and Electronic Communications Rules or Regulations. Those are also being updated right now due to be launched in May, but not entirely finalized. 
And so there are a lot, there's a lot of confusion around how does that make GDPR, how do these all fit in together? And obviously none of it's been tested. But um, there is a there is an ability for businesses who have a customer or former customer who they have been communicating with to continue to communicate with them without requiring a new consent to be achieved. Okay, so if I have a database of, uh, some of my clients have databases of forty and 50,000 email addresses and, and telephone numbers, they can continue on communicating with them? And provide, provided, first of all, that they're a customer or former customer of the business and what you're marketing to them is a product or service similar to the product or service that they bought. So, okay, so there's, okay. there's no clear rule of thumb. This is a complex area and it requires a fair bit of in-depth examination and advice but i suppose my advice would be don't dump your database on the on the on the premise that you think that gdpr has now rendered it useless to you that's quite often not the case but you do need to get advice around that because fines are issued if you email the wrong people and what about if you go out and um and buy from one of these data harvesters ten thousand email addresses of businesses that do x y and z in in, in england um, has that database become obsolete then? Because you haven't well, sold to them because you're, you're, you're obviously trying to sell them, you haven't sold to them? If, if the business that has put together the database has got very clear consents from the individual that they're content to be marketed to and they're content for their, their information to have been sold to third parties for marketing purposes, that okay. might be fine. Okay. But the obligation falls on the business sending the email to ensure that that process did actually happen. And I, I warn businesses away from doing that because I think there's too many elements of risk in there. Okay, okay, no, that's, that's, that's very valid. That'll be really, really uh, useful for some of the businesses that I'm working with who I know have uh, procured databases and are working their way through it, through emails and through telephone calls and all that sort of stuff, you know, so. Um, that's very that's very interesting. Most of the work you're doing then is is you're training, you're going in and, and training people, or are you giving ongoing consultancy then? We've we've a combination of services. We're doing a lot of training at the moment on site. We work with other partners to deliver public workshops that one or two individuals from a company can attend. Um, we then go into businesses and, and quite frequently what we're doing at the moment is carrying out what's called a gap analysis. So it's to help businesses figure out where are you now and what's missing and can we help you put together a plan to get there? And then there's just, we provide outsourced data protection officer services if a business needs that or if they need ongoing consultancy or, or you know, one-off piece of consultancy because they need advice around one particular thing that they're worried about. So all of those things together um, are, are all the services. Oh, and we have online training. <laughs> We, we created some of the first GDPR trading online in the UK that's distributed now through um, happily through quite a number of companies throughout the UK. So lots, we've online products as well and template documents are about to be released because one of the things um, that the businesses need to do is put in place lots of policies and we've created some templates to help them work through those. Um, and this is just throughout the UK or is this the island of Ireland as well? Well, GDPR applies uniformly for the most part across Europe. Okay. Um, and so all our services and products are available throughout UK and Ireland. Okay. Um, your website is briefed.pro. That's correct, Pro, yeah. And you're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn, and you're on Twitter at briefed, briefed Pro. That's correct, eh? Yeah. I'm just going to say that right there, yeah. Okay, PRO, yeah. Um, 
Ola, listen, to, I, I have a load more questions for you, um, but I'm not going to like bore you with the questions. The answers <laughs> are going to know that stuff is really interesting, certainly from the business development perspective, which is really important from what I do. But I think as the overall... Um, as it kind of speeds up a little bit, I know that the press are going to grab hold of stuff and they're going to start trying to shake it and trying to make headlines where the headlines aren't ex- they don't exist really. But ultimately, businesses need to start to be making themselves aware of this quickly. Like, they're running yeah. out of time, aren't they? Time's ticking away. Um, there aren't a lot of people or resources available to help businesses become compliant. And what you'll find is that people that do this are now heavily booked up. So you need to you need to take action straight away. Um, I would suggest sending one or two key people to a public workshop so that you can start to understand the breadth of the project in front of you. Um, if you don't want to employ a consultant, consider getting everybody trained online or some in-house training and putting lots of policies and contracts in place. Those are the things that you can do to help um, create a defense for yourself should you have a breach. And so one of the one of the things that I always tell clients is nobody can guarantee, A, that you'll be compliant because the law fluctuates. But secondly, people will still make mistakes. You cannot stop someone leaving a file on top of a car and driving off or sending an email to the wrong person. But in the event where that happens and you have find yourself in front of the information commissioner to trying to explain yourself, what you always want to be able to do is demonstrate all of the different areas within the business that you try to keep information safe. And you do that by demonstrating the training that you've undertaken, the contracts that you've put in place, the security measures that you've put in place. And you may very well find all things going well, but the information commissioner will say, okay, it appears that some human error happened. Uh, we'll take no further action at the time, at the minute. But what you, you, you can't defend yourself if you haven't invested somewhat up front in creating that defense in the first place. So as a, as a consultant, you're fairly agnostic. You don't come with a suite of materials you're trying to sell and you're just you're trying to give information as it will impact businesses. Um, if, if I'm looking at a, a small, small to a very small business, let's say two or three people, um, do they need to start getting hooked up into the cloud? Do they need to start backing stuff up in that way? What physical um, sort of precautions do they need to take? Well, we don't we don't give any technology advice um, because we're not in any way IT qualified. Um, but one of the key things that the legislation specifies and the ICO is very keen on is having everything encrypted. If you encrypt any devices that you're using to move personal data or to process personal data, that goes a long way to demonstrating that you're taking security measures. The legislation doesn't say what the correct security measures are over and above that. Um, you have to essentially judge the situation for yourself. And and again, I, I say, imagine you, you uh, had someone break into your office and had your computer stolen. What you're going to have to do is defend yourself and, and talk about all the different layers of security that that burglar got through. Mm-hmm. And you want to have as many as you can to demonstrate that you tried as hard as you could and so every business really needs to analyze where are they storing their information, where is it being moved to, and what security measures have in place, both physical and electronic. I think that is maybe a final um, comment from yourself as a really valuable piece of information for those people who are listening to this and are sitting in an office or driving home with their computer in the back of the car. And what protection, what additional layers of protection have they put in place and do they need to put, put in place? It's not a bad starting point really for... For people yeah. who are on the move even right now, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I had I delivered some training last Friday and, and someone in the room indicated that she constantly had GP notes and records in the back of her car. 
because she delivered them to a certain place and uh, she went home and made sure that she didn't leave them in her car that weekend and that she had them in a locked place in her in her house. So it's it's, it's small steps. So you know you need to take some bigger steps around contracts, etc. But every little step counts in a way to demonstrate that you're trying to protect information. Well, listen, thank you very much. Just finally, if you can give um, the people listening your web address and your Twitter and LinkedIn handles. Okay, uh, you can contact me on hello at briefed.pro. Um, our Twitter handle is at briefedpro and our LinkedIn page is just briefed, GDPR specialists. So thanks very much for having me, Paul. No, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much. And um, I'll get chatting to you again, maybe on the 26th of May, or maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again Ola. I appreciate it okay thank you bye bye yeah that was an interesting one right um, great uh, chat there with Orla and I think just to give you a reminder of her details again I think there's a few of you might want to be speaking to her um, her website is briefed.pro and she can be found on twitter at briefed.pro thanks for uh, listening and look forward to catching up with you again soon